So we're middle of chapter 22, 23, and chapter 23 came after we came to understand what we learned in chapter 22. What page are we on? We got to page... We got to the middle of page 3. And we... We're in the middle of page 3. And we discussed how actually there is no other reality besides Hashem. The only reality, the only thing that exists, there's only Hashem. There's nothing else besides Hashem. We established that. The word of Hashem, the creation being the word of Hashem, and the word of Hashem having never left him, it still exists within him. It has no identity of its own. There's nothing besides Hashem. Ain't od levado. Nothing else besides for him. Okay? But then we're left with a little bit of a... What's going on then? We see a whole world. Don't only, not only do we see a whole world, we see forces of evil, God forbid. We see people who transgress the will of Hashem. Where do they come from? It's like, I don't see you on the map anywhere. You don't belong here. We understand there's only Hashem, and yet there are impure things, there's unholy things, there are people who defy the will of Hashem. So where do they come into the picture? They make no sense. They don't fit into this puzzle, seemingly. So chapter 22 explained to us that they have come into being because Hashem, in giving us freedom of choice, created this concept called tzimtzum. Tzimtzum is contraction. He hid himself so that it's though there is something apart from him. So while there is nothing else besides from Hashem, for Hashem, from his perspective, even the concealment being him, we compared it to the snail or the turtle whose shell, whose garments are actually a part of its own self. So these concealments that Hashem has constructed are actually part of Him. From His perspective, nothing has changed. All there is, is Hashem. And yet, He has given us an alternate, an alternate perspective. From the way we're created, all created beings, even in the higher worlds, it's just to what degree? feel themselves to be a separate entity. As the higher spiritual worlds where there's angels and created beings, and they know there's nothing else besides Hashem, that Hashem is who created them, but they feel themselves to be an identity. This symptom affected all levels of creation. It's just to what degree. In our world, there's the possibility of people who actually transgress the will of Hashem. And the reason why they're able to do this is because Hashem has hidden himself, so they consider themselves to be an entity apart. <coughs> now, we looked at the word of Hashem and we said, what's a word? And we started to say a word is different from the human experience than it is in the divine experience. When a human being speaks, he reveals, he also creates a separation. By projecting what you're thinking outside of yourself, you are revealing yourself, you are expressing yourself, you are also creating an entity that's outside of yourself. We said, well, Hashem is not like human beings. He is able to reveal himself without having to separate from himself. And then chapter 22 said, wait, even though the word has never left him, yet from our perspective, it did leave him. And this perspective that we have, that the word actually left him, holds a truth. It's paradoxical. On one hand, the word never left him. There is nothing separate from Hashem. His word exists within him only as a divine word does. And that is still within its source before it has even been expressed. And yet, 
The Torah uses the language of human beings. And when the Torah says Hashem spoke, it means actual speech, just like our speech. Our speech is revelation and separation. So too Hashem's speech includes this level of separation. That from our perspective, there's such a thing as separation. Very difficult to understand. Two things happening at once. There's nothing outside of him. His word never left him. And yet our perspective that there's something apart from him, that is true too. It's hard to understand. If we wouldn't consider that to be true, then there would be no point in keeping Torah and mitzvahs. Torah and mitzvahs is to draw down holiness into things that are mundane. Are you getting that from here too? No, not yet. This is all introduction to where we're getting at right now. Now with this... Like a baby in the baby in the womb Don't separate. is within like Hashem baby we are in the womb correct we can't say it's like the baby no. within the womb because the baby within a womb has an identity the, the things that he has an identity but it really part of but you can look at the the ultrasound and see a baby but you cannot take an ultrasound of of your, the essence of your soul, if you take an ultrasound of the essence of your soul, your intellect and your emotion, you're, you can't do that. But just theoretically speaking, <laughs> in the hypothetical case, we will not see the word there. The word, although it exists within your essence of your soul, the word that you are about to express exists within the essence of your intellect and emotion, you will not find it there. The baby, if you take the ultrasound, you will find it. The word, you will not find it, because although it is there, when it's in the source, it has no existence. You remember that, because the rays of the sun within the body of the sun, right. although they exist within the body of the sun, when they're there, they have no identity, okay? Yes. Knowing, one second, one second. Knowing what we know up until now, okay? So we, we established that there's nothing outside of Hashem, and yet there's, a, there's the perception that there could be something separate from Him. Now we're taking a flip side, and we're coming to revisit what we began to understand that every single mitzvah is an expression of Hashem's authority, Hashem's unity. I am God, your God, the first of the Ten Commandments. We are coming to understand that right here, right now in this chapter. Okay? So we're going to, we start to look at the expression in the Zohar that Arisa Vakucha Brichu Kulachar. Hashem and his Torah are entirely one. And also what it says in the Tikkuni Zohar, that the 248 positive commands are considered organs of the king. And we started to look at what is an organ? We, look, we were looking at our own human experience and we said, what is an organ? What, is our, what are our organs? Organs are expressions of our soul. As soon as you want to move your hand, your soul doesn't have to say to your hand, I want to move. It doesn't happen like that your body responds automatically to the will of the soul. Body and soul have become so united that the body expresses the soul. And that's what a mitzvah is. A mitzvah, we, we talked about the innermost aspect of the divine will. We said that there's many aspects and there's many levels to will. Whatever we do is because we want to, but at what level? There's that we, can, we can want to do things even that we don't enjoy doing, but we don't want them in and of itself. Then we come to the kernel of it all, and that would be our essential will. Hashem, too, wants all of existence to exist, but at what level? He wants it all there for his innermost desire. And his innermost desire is the mitzvahs. The mitzvahs are Hashem's innermost desire. Now, 
we said that when a person performs a mitzvah, their vivifying soul, their animal soul, which gives them the energy to move, so the, the life energy within the act, plus the garment of the divine soul called the faculty of action, these two things, so the energy of the vivifying soul, the animal soul, plus the faculty of action of the divine soul, these become a limb of Hashem. Okay, because in visiting what we said, that our limb express our soul, these energies express Hashem's will. They are giving it clothing and expression. Um, the act of a mitzvah traverses all of the universes in order to give expression to the divine will. Hashem's innermost will is the mitzvah. The energy that executes that mitzvah, that carries it out, is like our hand carrying out the will of our soul. So this is the amazing fusion that happens at the time of the performance of the mitzvah. Our animal soul and the faculty of action of our divine soul become Hashem's limb. They carry out his innermost will. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> okay, that's mind-boggling. Then we got to the next stage and we said, well, what about the hat? What about the hand that does the mitzvah? The hand that lights Shabbos candle, the hand that gives tzedakah, what is the hand? Is it like a body to the soul? No. At this point we said, the hand is like a merkava, a chariot, a vehicle. What is a vehicle? What is a chariot? It has no will of its own. It's there just to serve its master. The, the person, today we have a car. They get in the car, and the car goes where you drive it. Doesn't say, well, does it say, well, I want to go to Whole Foods and you want to go to the park? Okay, fine, we'll go to the park. It doesn't happen that way unless you have a really bad car. <laughs> Other than that, a person gets onto their car and the vehicle takes them wherever they want to go. So this is the difference between a, a limb of the body versus a vehicle. Okay? So the limb of the body fuses with the soul to express the soul. A vehicle does not fuse with the rider to express the rider. Can you define what a limb is? Yeah. So a limb is not, or we're, they call it over here organ. It's, it's going to be, it's confusing for us because it's not the way we define it medically. In the Mishnah, discussing um, the laws of purity and impurity, you have to know which, what are considered the limbs of the body, God forbid, in contact with a corpse, and how much of that has to be there in order to, for a person to contract impurity to become defiled. So the Mishnah and Ahalais now gives a list 248 limbs of the body. These 248 limbs are all parts of the body that have a direct connection with your soul. Meaning everything has a direct connection with your soul, but it has a direct connection with implementing your will. For example, your fingers will have each of them will be divided into a certain amount. Everything that's your the, the, your spine your legs, it's all there, what is defined as the limbs of the, the organs, these 248 organs. The 248 organs are all parts of the body that implement the will of the soul. All of your body gets its life from the soul. But not over all of the body does your soul have complete dominion. For example, you could not want to be hungry but you don't have that choice because you don't have control over that part of your body. And actually, that could be 
a metaphor too for the klipa. The mitzvahs are an expression of Hashem's will and they are the organs of the body. The other parts of the body that do not have this relationship where they express the will of the soul, these could be considered the klipa. Not that these parts of the body are considered the klipa, but the analogy is that the klipa get their energy from Hashem or the person who, who transgresses the will of Hashem. They get their energy from Hashem. All their life comes from, the, from Hashem, just like every part of your body gets all of its life from the soul. And yet, they do not obey the will of the soul. They do not recognize its dominion. So, so uh, this, we were talking about the organs of the body. Remind me where we're up to right now. Okay, we were talking about the difference between a fusion of body and soul and the chariot and the rider. So while the, the body and soul are completely fused so that the soul then expresses itself through the body, the chariot and the rider are not completely fused. The, chariot, the rider still has to direct the chariot. What's the difference between fusion in the way of a body and soul and um, um, surrender in the way of the, the chariot, right? So let's look at the way that the body is surrendered to and fused with the soul. Fusion means that there has been a transformation. Fusion means that you can see that there's this relationship going on. Take a body that does not have the soul in it yet. It's just meat and bones. All of a sudden, the soul comes in. Not only is the body surrendered to the soul, the body is fused with the soul so that it automatically expresses the soul. There's a fusion, there's a transformation. Whereas a chariot is only surrendered to the rider. It has no will of its own. It goes wherever the rider wants to go, but there's no fusion. So this is the difference between the energies that, give, that, that make the mitzvah happen. So the energy of the animal soul, the energy of the divine soul, the, not the energy of the divine soul, the faculty of action of the divine soul. These become like limbs of the body, organs of the body in the execution of the mitzvah. However, our own physical body, the hand that gives tzedakah, it doesn't become like a limb of the body. Instead, it becomes as a chariot for the divine will. It is surrendered to the divine will, but it is not fused with the divine will. How, do you, how can you see that? Because you don't see a difference. You don't see that the hand has changed. The hand put on to fill in, and then it's, it just looks like the same hand. The whole body went into the mikvah, and it looks like the same body. You don't see that it's been transformed. So this is just an indication of the fact that it hasn't become fused, because if it became fused, there would be something different. Just like when the soul fuses with the body, there's a complete transformation. If the mitzvah would fuse with the hand, the hand would look different. You would say, oh, this hand is a hand that put on to fill in. Does something happen to the hand when the hand puts on tefillin? Absolutely. Every time we do a mitzvah, we affect a certain refinement. But it's not discernible to the point where there's become a fusion. So this is where we're up to right now. Okay. Um, we were rushing through the middle of this page, so I'm going to go back to these words. Va'al came. Gam every guf ha'adam ha'makayim ha'mitzvah shekayach u'bechinas ha'maisa shohanetz. Do you see where we are? We're on page three, right in the middle of the page. 
שכיח ובכינס המייסה של נפש האליקיס מלובש בהם בשעס מייסה וקיום המצווה, הם נעשו מרכב הממש לרצין העליין. In this way, those organs of the human body which perform the mitzvah, meaning those organs in which the divine soul's faculty of action is clothed during the performance and fulfillment of the mitzvah, they too become a veritable vehicle, a merkava, a chariot for the divine will. כגין, היד המחלקת צדקה לעניים, איישה מצווה אחרת, For example, the hand which distributes charity to the poor or performs another commandment becomes, in the act of performing a mitzvah, a chariot for the divine will. Similarly, the feet which walk for the purpose of fulfilling a mitzvah, or the mouth and tongue which speak words of Torah, or the brain reflecting on the Torah, or the fear of heaven, or on the greatness of God, blessed be He, all these things become a chariot for the divine. Meaning the organs of Hashem. We become. No. Not yet. Kind of. Like, What becomes the organs for Hashem is our vivifying soul. When, when we're giving tzedakah. So we're taking the coin and we're handing it. Which in the... I wish I had a coin on me. Yeah. When we take the coin and we put it in the... Yeah, demonstration. We put it in the pushka, right? So there are three things involved in this act. What's involved in this act? There is my organ. My hand. The hand cannot act on its own. It needs the animal soul, the vivifying soul, to give it life. To t- Now, within the vivifying soul that's performing a mitzvah, there's another factor, and that's the divine soul. The divine soul's faculty of action is expressing itself in the act of the mitzvah. So three things are happening here. All at once, my hand is moving with the power of the animal soul and with the faculty of action of the divine soul. What's, so let's look at these three components. My hand is becoming a chariot. A chariot totally nullified and surrendered to the divine will. Is that incredible? You do a mitzvah and the organ that you're using to do the mitzvah is now a chariot totally surrendered to the divine will. Okay, now the energy that I'm using to, to do this, that's not just becoming... Oh, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Thank you very much. I was your shlucha. So, so um, the, the hand becomes a chariot. Anytime we do a mitzvah, the physical organs that we're using to perform that mitzvah become a chariot to the divine will, totally surrendered. Our brain, when we study Torah, is the chariot at that time. The physical brain is the chariot. The mouth that we speak is the chariot. Okay? But now there's going to be a difference between the energy. In, well, now we're talking about mitzvah performance. Solely mitzvah performance. We're going to talk about Torah study just coming up. Okay? The energy that we used in putting in the coin in the pushka or any mitzvah, that energy becomes a limb of Hashem. That's what becomes the limb. That is exp- Just like our limbs express our soul, this energy expresses Hashem's will, His soul, as it were. <clears throat> Now, this is the difference. The hand, we don't see how the hand has become transformed. But the energy, you can see that this energy is being used to express Hashem. Just like a limb, you can see that it's being used to express the soul. The energy you can see is being used to express Hashem. Therefore, it is the fusion of body and soul. 
This is what's happening at the time of the mitzvah. So there's three things involved to sum it up. There's the organ, there's our vivifying soul, also known as our animal soul, and there's the faculty of action, the, the outer garment of the divine soul. These three things all are surrendered to the divine will at the time of the performance of the mitzvah. The hand is the chariot, it's the vehicle that is totally surrendered to the divine will and executes the divine will. The spiritual energies involved, so our animal soul and the faculty of action of our divine soul, these become a limb to the divine. They become Hashem's organ, as it were, in carrying out the mitzvah, okay? They become the Merkava. Now, not just that. It's always fused with the soul as long as we're alive. Every part of the body, how do you use Right, so so, so what's the question? Uh, we're, we're deciding that um, some, uh, some do, like the hand, that you will to do the mitzvah, uh-huh. as opposed to other parts of the body that don't change. Oh, so going back to, you're saying going back to what we said before, yeah. that some things are called organs and some things are not called right. organs. The non-organs are still part of the body. That's right. The non-organs are still part of the body, and they're still getting their, all their life from the soul. Where else do they get their life from? The difference between them and organs is the organs express the soul while those other ones do not express the soul. Did you say mahar har is reflect? Yeah, mahar mahar har is to reflect or ponder. Lovely, thank you. (laughs) So so now now we're coming to, because this is the question, Faye's not here today, but she asked the question about like, you know, so it's only in the act of the mitzvah, but even as we go to perform the mitzvah, at that time we're a chariot for the divine. So if you're, you know, honoring your parents, you're on the way to go visit your mother. During that time that you're going to visit your, just even on the way to visit your mother, the limbs that you are using, the legs that you are walking, the legs that, and the arms and the legs that are driving the car, at that time, even to get to the mitzvah, they are a chariot to the divine will. So they are Hashem's limb. They, no, they are a, the, the energy is Hashem's limb. They become ones when you're... The, ha- the arms and the legs, in the process of walking, they become the chariot. The energy of the walking, that becomes the limb. Energy. The energy becomes the limb, but the physical organ becomes the chariot. Okay? When these organs are occupied with the mitzvot, they are totally surrendered like a chariot to the divine will clothed in these mitzvot. Note that a physical organ becomes merely a chariot for the divine will, like we said. It does not become surrendered to and unified with the divine will to the same extent as the divine soul's faculty of action, whose unity the Altar Rebbe previously compared to the unity of body and soul. The unity of body and soul surpasses that of a chariot with its rider. Body and soul, although originally two separate disparate entities, one physical and the other spiritual, become one entity when united. No part of the body is devoid of the soul. Conversely, the soul completely adapts itself to the body, becoming transformed into a corporeal life force. The divine soul's faculty of action, being a godly power, can achieve this level of unity with God when it is employed in the performance of the mitzvah. This is kind of what we were saying before, just in written out in this way. The organs of the body, on the other hand, although they too are involved in fulfilling the mitzvah, can reach no higher than the level illustrated in the analogy of the chariot. A chariot, having no will of its own, is indeed completely subservient to its rider, yet it is not united with him. So that's the difference between 
organs of the body and a chariot. They are both surrendered to the divine will. The organs, though, are fused with the divine will and express the divine will. The chariot is surrendered to the divine will, but it is not fused with the divine will. Okay. Vizehu she'amru razal. Ha'avais hein hein ha'merkava. This is what the sages meant when they said that the patriarchs are truly the divine chariot. Shekal evrehem kulam hayu kedayshim muvdalim me'inyane elam hazeh. V'lai na'asu merkava rak l'rashen ha'alien levade kol yemehem. For all their organs were completely holy and detached from mundane matters, and throughout their lives they served as a vehicle for nothing but the divine will. Okay, so now we're going to look at the, the patriarchs, the way they are a chariot, and not the way that we are a chariot. So anytime any of us do a mitzvah, we become a chariot too for the divine, but in a different way than the patriarchs. But let's first look at the patriarchs, and then we're going to come back to our own experience. Our sages, in, ex- in expressing the amazing qualities of our patriarchs, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they call them the Merkava, the divine chariot. Now, I remember last time when we discussed the concept of Merkava, uh, Susan pointed out that Merkava is a conveyor. So they are the conveyor of the divine idea. But what is the Merkava? Merkava is described in the vision of Ezekiel, the divine chariot. The divine chariot, remember he says, the, 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 he, he beholds this whole vision, and he, he beholds the face of the ox, and the face of the eye, and the face of the eagle, the face of the man, right? These are all the Merkava. These are the chariot. What is the chariot? The chariot it upholds the divine throne. So when we say something is the chariot, it is something that upholds and reveals, manifests the Shekhinah. So in the higher world, the angels are the bearers of the throne. The holy chayot, they are the ones who uphold the throne. They, they reveal and express the Shekhinah. However, the main chariot is actually not the angels. It's the, mer- it's the human beings. It's the avot. They are the, the prime merkava. They are the prime chariot, the prime manifestation of the Shekhinah. So when we call the Avot the Shekhinah, the, I'm sorry, we call the Avot the Merkava, when we call them the chariot, this means to express that they were totally surrendered to and expressing the divine will. They so totally, so totally not fused, so totally subservient and surrendered were they to the divine will that they had no will of their own. They were, even when they were sleeping, they were a chariot to the divine Everything about them always was a chariot to the divine. That's the difference between the way we are a chariot and the way they were a chariot. We are a chariot during the performance of the mitzvah and with the organ that we are using to perform the mitzvah. So if we're using our hand to give tzedakah, then during the time when we are giving tzedakah and with our hands that give tzedakah, we are a chariot. But the patriarchs, the avot, were a chariot all the time with all of their organs. Everything about them was a revelation of the divine, completely to surrender to the divine will all of the time. And that's why one of the Hasidic masters in um, speaking about the story of Akedat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, right? So it says that, it says that, that Abraham sent his hand. Since when does anybody send their hand? Do you remember what we talked about? That the hand is an expression of the soul. 
if you want to use your hand, you don't have to say, okay, hand, go, get me the knife. Okay. No, no, it doesn't work that way. The hand automatically goes and gets the knife because you want to. You don't have to say. So why does it, it say that Avraham sent his hand? And he explained like this. The reason for it is because the patriarchs were the chariot. Whenever there was a divine will, they automatically, their, their body went to do that will. Since Hashem did not really want Isaac to be slaughtered, his hand was not going to slaughter him. And so it was not moving automatically to get the knife. So he had to say, hey, hand, go get the knife. Hashem said we need to, to slaughter Isaac. So he sent his hand. That's how utterly subservient they were to the divine will that their whole body always expressed the divine will. That's the avot. They were totally in a way of merkava their whole life. They were totally surrendered to the divine will. Just looking at one of the patriarchs, and in this similar vein, when you see a tzaddik, a holy person, you look at them, you know there's God. They reveal and manifest the shekhinah. They are the bearers of the throne. So when our sages say that the the patriarchs were the veritable, they were the chariot. They were the ones who upheld the throne. They mean with their entire body, all of the time, they totally were surrendered to the divine will. They, that's it. They expressed the divine will. Okay, the reason for the sages designating specifically the patriarchs as God's chariot, although every Jew's body becomes a chariot which, when he performs a mitzvah, is that the patriarch's submission to the divine will was unique in its power, in its scope, and its consistency. All their organs were totally surrendered to the divine will throughout their lives, whereas with other Jews, only those organs which perform a mitzvah are a chariot, and then only during the act. In fact, the same organ which today served as a chariot to God's will might conceivably serve the opposite purpose tomorrow, God forbid. Okay? So let's sum up what we said until now, and then we're going to move to the next section. Up until now, we discussed what a mitzvah is. A mitzvah is the innermost aspect of Hashem's will. This is what He truly desires. All of the universes exist only for this inner will, to give expression to this will, the will of a mitzvah. So now, when we express a mitzvah, when we give expression to Hashem's inner will, the energy used in that execution of the mitzvah, the energy used to carry out the mitzvah from our vivifying soul, plus our divine soul's faculty of action, they become a limb of the king. They actually become, just like our organs, our limbs, express the, the desire of our soul, these energies express Hashem's desire. In the performance of the mitzvah, the spiritual energies become like a limb to a body, and our physical organs become like a chariot to the divine in the expression of, in the, expression of the divine will. They become, and when we perform a mitzvah, this is what's happening, okay? Now, we're going to examine what happens when we study Torah. And this is something phenomenal. Can you explain, just what, what are you calling the... Uh, faculty of action? Is it like malchut? Is it like no, it's, it's Misa. We said that the soul has three garments. Thought, speech, oh. and action. So, right now in the execution of the mitzvah, the most external garment of the soul is being used. And that is the garment of action. I should, I'm calling it the faculty of action instead of the power of action. We'll call it the garment of action. So, the garment of action is being used in the to carry out the mitzvah. And that's what becomes, together with the vivifying soul, a limb, 
an organ of the king. Now let's look at what happens when we study Torah. The Alter Rebbe has thus far discussed two levels of union with the divine will, one analogous to the chariot and its rider, and the second to the unity of body and soul. Both of these levels of unity are achieved by performing the mitzvot. He now goes on to describe a third and a higher level of unity that is achieved through the study of Torah. Ach, hamachashava vahahirhur. But the thought and meditation on the words of Torah, which is accomplished in the brain, and the power of speech engaged in the words of Torah, which is in the mouth, these being the innermost garments of the divine soul, and thus closer to the soul itself than the faculty of action, the external garment, and surely the divine soul itself, which is clothed in them, meaning in the thought and speech engaged in Torah study, kulam miyuchadim mamish b'yichad gamar baratzin ha'elyain v'lai merkava levad. All of them are fused in perfect unity with the divine will and are not merely a vehicle, a chariot for it, as are the mouth and brain in which the thought and speech of Torah study take place. Okay, so up until now, we described how the, the energies used in performance of the mitzvah are like a body to the soul. At the end of the day, body and soul, as intimate as they are, as much as the soul, the body expresses the soul, they're two separate entities. There's the physical body and there's the spiritual soul. At the end of the day, in the performance of the mitzvah, we become the organs of the king. But now we're looking to see what happens when we study Torah to our inner garments of our divine soul. Remember, the soul has three garments. They are machshava, dibor, maisa, Thought, speech, and action. What is a garment? A garment is a mode of expression. It is what is used to express the soul. So our external most garment is the garment of action. It is so external to our soul that we may not recognize the person who executed the action. Like, for example, if this cup was hand-fashioned, I would find the cup here and I would not know who made the cup. The soul expressed itself, it revealed itself through the action, and yet it's very external to the soul. Then we have the innermost garment of the soul, and that is thought. We don't think of thought as bringing expression, but it actually is. Thought is our soul revealing itself to ourself. When we process our thoughts, and when we process our intellect and emotion through thought, we are expressing ourselves to ourselves. You need to process what you're thinking sometimes. Sometimes you have a reaction, you don't know why you're feeling that way or what suddenly prompted that, and you're thinking about it. You're, you're expressing yourself to yourself. That's thought. It's our most internal garment. And then we have another garment that's the middle garment, but for purposes over here, we're calling it one of the inner garments. So there's two inner garments and the external garment. The other inner garment is that of speech. Speech expresses our intellect and emotion. When we, when we speak, we are expressing ourselves. So all of these garments are an expression of the soul. Thought, speech, and action. Speech is the middle garment because on one hand, when you look at it, you still see the speaker. You still, when you, you, you look at this cup that was made by action, right? I can walk away, I, let's say I made this cup, I can walk away, you will not know who made the cup. However, when somebody's speaking, you see the direct source, where the thought is coming from. So it's not as internal as thought because thought is in, my, in your side of yourself. It's expressing yourself to yourself. It's your most intimate garment.
but it's still one of your inner garments, okay? So our two inner garments are thought and speech. When a person studies Torah, when they're thinking the Torah thoughts in their mind, when the, the power of speech, not the actual speech, but the power of speech that's giving rise to the speech that they speak in studying Torah, these inner garments of the divine soul become fused with Hashem in perfect unity. Absolute perfect unity. Not anymore like a body to the soul. There is a complete and total fusion. The term perfect unity indicates that the two have become one and the same. Unlike, for example, the unity of body and soul, which retain their separate identities even when they are joined together and form one unit. An example of a perfect unity can be found in the unity of the soul with its faculties, which are a part of it. Like, the, the, this gets very technical, but the way Rabbi Steinsaltz puts it is the mind and the soul. The mind and the soul are now, for practical purposes, one. We're not talking about the brain. We're talking about the mind, like the consciousness, the intellect and emotions. This is already a perfect unity. They are now one and the same. They have become so completely identified with each other that they are one. It's not anymore body and soul. It's really one unit. In the same way the divine soul and its faculties of speech and thought are united with the divine in, in the same way the divine soul and its faculties of speech and thought are united with the divine will when one speaks or thinks of matters of Torah. The Al-Turban now goes on to explain how Torah study is able to affect this level of unity. Ki for the divine will is identical with the subject matter which one thinks or speaks, inasmuch as the laws of the halacha are particular expressions of the innermost divine will itself. Okay. The halacha, the Torah that you're studying, that is the divine will. An action of a mitzvah is the fulfillment, is the performance of the divine will. The Torah that you're studying is the divine will. Okay, let's give an example. You want to build a house, right? Your desire is to build a house. In building the house, you have all the construction that's happening. As the construction is happening, your desire is being fulfilled. But is that your desire? It's the fulfillment of your desire. The actual desire is that you want the house. That is the desire. The fulfillment of the desire is the construction of the house. When a person fulfills a mitzvah, they are like building a house. When a person is studying Torah, they are as though reviewing the plans with the architect. They are discussing Hashem's very will. This is His will. Torah is his will. The mitzvahs are the fulfillment of his will. They are the execution of his will. They are carrying out his will, realizing his will, implementing his will. The Torah is his will. So when you are studying Torah, when you are speaking words of Torah, the divine soul's garments that are in this act, so your divine soul's uh, garment of thought, your divine soul's garment of speech, they become identical with the divine will itself. They become fused in perfect unity with Hashem. 
<laughs> Isn't that amazing though? I'm like, I want to see everybody coughing and I don't see that happening. It's the most amazing thing. Well, what you said, it's so obvious. <laughs> it's the most amazing thing. Up until now, we're discussing how the mitzvah, there's such a union happening when we perform a mitzvah. When we perform a mitzvah, the energy of the mitzvah becomes limbs to the body, limbs to the soul. They, they express the soul as a body expresses the soul. When that's such a unity, that's such a fusion going on. The, the body responds to the will of the soul and carries it out just like that, without any direction whatsoever. That's the performance of a mitzvah. But Torah study goes deeper than that. It's more than fusion of body and soul. It becomes a perfect fusion. You become one with Hashem. These, these, these aspects of your divine soul, your, so your divine soul itself, your pow- the divine soul's power of thought, the divine soul's power of speech, become totally fused with Hashem in the act of studying Torah. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? It's, it's just amazing. You really have to think about that for a minute. Even though we learned in chapter 2 that the divine soul is actually part of God, but the fusion that's happening during Torah study is greater than that. Because as a divine soul has traversed all those universes to come here into physical being, it has taken on somewhat of an identity. It is divine, but it has taken on a separate identity. When it's here, and it's studying Torah, it is fusing with the divine will itself and becoming one with Hashem. That's what's happening when we study Torah. And when we study Torah in a group of ten, the fusion that happens is, is phenomenal. That if even one angel would be present, this is what, this is what was passed down f- from the teachers of Kabbalah, that if even one angel would be present, with 10 people who study Torah, well, actually, without even them studying Torah, just 10 Jewish people, but especially when we study Torah, the angel would expire out of existence. It could not handle the level of exposure and revelation that is happening right here, right now, when we study Torah. Oh, I not know an angel can die. What? Not die, just... Just, just That's it. Just not be. Wouldn't they want to be here? They might want to be here, but they, don't, they can't. They, they cannot handle it. The level of exposure is incredible. You're combining like thought and speech. I thought like speech turned it more into like the action. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's why we're saying the power of speech, but we're not saying the speech itself. The power of speech becomes like just totally fused with Hashem. The speech itself is a physical entity, and so it's becoming no more than either body and soul or the, Merka- or the chariot. But in the total fusion that's happening only with the divine soul and its faculties of speech and thought. The actual speech itself does not become fused in that way. The actual speech itself is becoming, it's one or the other. I don't remember. I'm going to have to tell you after class because I have it written down. Okay. So Torah has all these otiyot, like et, yeah. which are Hashem's so-called speech that's there. So maybe that's why when we are studying and using our power of thought and reading these otiyot, mm-hmm. that's how we become one with Hashem. Because that, those all of it. All of it is true. And because you're literally saying what's coming up next. What's, it's not just, it's the, 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 look. 
Terufi Otio. That's going to be in the next lines. Oh. <laughs> I shouldn't let you speak. I should make you wait till after class. <laughs> okay, one second, one second. So let's now look at Torah and mitzvahs and see how they're different. Okay? Mitzvah, while it is a fusion, it can't be a perfect fusion. And it can't be a perfect fusion for a few reasons. One reason is, in order for there to be a mitzvah, there has to be a recognition that there is something apart. That there's Hashem, and there's somebody who He commands. Because there's Hashem, and that there's something, somebody that who, He commands, has to be that there's two separate entities, as it were. Because ultimately, there's no two separate entities. In the act of the mitzvah, there's the commander, who's Hashem, and there's He who He commands. There are two separate entities. There has to be the commander and the commanded. So there can't be perfect fusion. Torah, it says about the Torah that, that Torah kadma la'olam. It preceded creation. Torah doesn't need somebody outside of Hashem. It's Hashem's will and wisdom to Himself. The Torah, the Torah exists without the world. The Torah is Hashem's pure divine will and wisdom. It doesn't need an entity outside of Hashem. And when someone learns Torah, there's a perfect fusion with the actual will and wisdom of Hashem. And let's finish the thought here, because I think it's going to clarify it for us, and then we'll stop for questions. For God willed it thus, that a particular thing be deemed permissible or kosher, or that this person be found exempt or another innocent or the reverse. Since every halacha expresses the divine will, the unity which the study of halacha affects between the soul and the divine will surpasses even the unity of body and soul. The chain called Seirufi Isias Hanach. Similarly, all the letter combinations of the Pentateuch, prophets, and the holy writings, the Ketuvim, are also expressions of God's will and wisdom, which are united with the blessed Ainsof in a perfect unity, since he is the knower, the knowledge, and the subject known. Thus, when one studies Torah, prophets, and the writings, he becomes united with the divine will and wisdom, which are absolutely one with Hashem himself. So, I was thinking that that's perhaps why David HaMelech, as long as he learns Torah, he can't die because he was so fused. You can't separate the soul when you're involved in Torah. So it just made me think that. So you're saying that because when he was, he was right, David HaMelech, and the story is also about Rabbi Bar, Bar Nachmani, that while they were studying Torah, the angel of death had no power over them. David HaMelech knew that he would die on Shabbos. Hashem told him he would die on Shabbos. He didn't tell him which Shabbos. So all Shabbos long, yeah, okay, all Shabbos long wow. he would study Torah right. so that the angel of death wouldn't have power over him. Right. Same thing with Rabbi Nachmani. His mouth never uttered words, never, never ceased from Torah study. And so when Hashem wanted his soul back, the angel of death was not able, death was not able to get it. So he, made, he was being chased by the Roman legions and he made these sounds happening as mm. though the Roman legions were coming. So he stopped for a minute to look. At that moment, mm. they took his soul. But this explains why, yeah. why they so, knew that that would prevent the Malachim from having from being able to separate their soul and body. Because it was totally them, used for... They're totally fused. When, they, when we learn Torah, we're totally fused on a higher level than just the, the regular daily fusion. So I'm listening to you and I'm tr trying to process what you're saying and I think that's true but it's also from another level 
And that's because um, Torah is essentially, like it says, when, when it's all connected. I'm just processing what yeah, you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. You know, when Hashem, we learned at the beginning of this, all this unit that Hashem himself was the one who said the first two of the Ten Commandments. And what happened to the Jewish soul at that time? The Jews expired. Hashem then revived them with dew. What's the dew? The dew is actually, it's called Tal Torah, the dew of Torah. So it's all, I guess, part of the same package. I have to, I can't, I can't answer you. I'm just listening to you processing because we, we would have to come and shape the idea and see like yeah. how, what's the purest expression of, of, of this. But okay. ultimately, when we're studying Torah, our divine soul is fused in perfect unity with Hashem, in absolute unity. Because um, remember last week, Dini, when you said, we learned in chapter 4, that it's like Hashem throwing us a rope? That's from one perspective, taking the fact that we are separate. In this perspective now, we're saying we're not even separate. There is, has, what happens to us when we perform a mitzvah, and then even furthermore when we study Torah, is we go to a place of pre-tzimtzum. Okay? Hashem created this world, and it never left him. But yet he has done this act of tzimtzum that makes us feel as though we have become separate from him. We're stuck in this space, kind of. We, we, we're stuck in this perspective of seeing things as though they exist apart from Hashem. We do have... Uh, this space that's beyond everything, and that's the space of mitzvahs, and furthermore, the space of Torah. The space of mitzvah is, we now give expression to the divine will. We enclose the divine will within our energies, and we give expression to it through our organs, and thus the divine will is now stands openly revealed. No symptom. That's what happens at the time of a mitzvah. There's no symptom. It gives expression to the divine. The divine is openly revealed. We said that there's Hester Punin, this concealment of the countenance. There's no concealment of the countenance at the time of the performance of the mitzvah. It's expressing the divine. Torah study is even deeper than that. And Torah study, there's absolutely no concealment of the divine. So much so that it, not only are we not just like we're not only like limbs of the body expressing the soul, we become one with the soul. We actually, our divine soul fuses and merges with Hashem in perfect unity, not as a body and soul, but in absolute, truest unity. So that's where we got up until today. And I'm opening now for questions and discussion. A quick as, question. Yes. So you're saying if a person has cancer and they're told you're going to die in a month, they're reading the Torah. They're studying the Torah. They're not going to die. No, I didn't say that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that we do say is that um, a person should never, should never despair of divine mercy, even as the sword is on their throat. Even as the, the sharp sword rests on the neck of the person, he should not despair of, yimna means prevent, but he should not despair of divine mercies. He should know that he always has, as long as there's life, there's hope. So I don't care what the doctors say, as long as there's life, there's hope. 
That's not what we're saying, that when a person discusses, studies Torah, they, if they, you know, God forbid, are, have disease, they will not expire. I didn't say that. You said the angels of death will can't. As the person, if a person is studying Torah, and it depends, look at the level of David HaMelech or the level of Rabbah Bar Nachmeni, the divine, the angel of death does not have any power over them. But God forbid a person is very ill, they're probably not able to say words of Torah at that time. Their body is prevented from speaking words of Torah or studying. So I guess it's all connected. I don't know. I'm just listening to this brilliant thought and having to process and... Well, there's always so many perspectives yeah. come together, facets of the yeah. same concept. Yeah. So uh, let's see if I can express this. I've been reflecting on it since... Um, if Maharars reflect, how, do, what, how would I say I'm reflect, I reflected? Uh, that I have reflected in the past? Reflected or I was, reflected. In the past, it would be Ani Hirharti. Currently, Ani Miharheret. Okay. So I've been reflecting on uh, this, um, what I understood from last week, and I don't have an answer, and the only thing to do is bring it to you. Um, if I understood correctly, the, the uh, conveyor or chariot, uh, or for instance, the arm is an organ because uh-huh. we don't have to tell it to go and put the money in it. Just we have the thought, and it happens. So our body has aspects that do it that way, and there's also things like the heart that beats on its own, and we have no control over it. So the uh, what I've been reflecting on is with breathing. It seems to me on a, even a higher level than any other organ because it is Hashem's, the, He infused us with our soul through breathing into us. Um, and yet the breath is something we can control and if we don't control it, it's going to go automatically anyway. So I didn't know what category to put it in. So the lungs are not counted as one of the 248 organs. I had a lot of questions too as far as the organs go. Because, you know, the heart, it says there's six keys in the heart, and those are considered the organs. So I guess to some extent, we have, not over the whole heart, it says there's six keys in the heart, and those are counted as the 248 organs. It reminds me of the story of a student of the author of the Tanya. The author, the, the Alta did not want Napoleon to, to, to win the war with Russia. And so he sent one of his students, Rabbi Meisha Meisels, as a spy to help the Russian army to overcome Napoleon. Now, he um, was proficient in various languages, so he took a job with the French army as a translator. And while he was the translator, he, was, you know, he heard all the plans going on, and he was the one giving over the plans to the Russian army, and they realized there's a spy. And so one time, Napoleon walks into the room where this chassid, the student of the Alter Rebbe, is there. He's the, he's the interpreter, supposedly, and the, the generals are all looking over the maps and making the plans. He walks over to him and he says, spy, Napoleon says to him. And he puts his hand on his own heart and he puts his other hand on the heart of the chassid. And the chassid's heart maintains a steady, calm beat. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not a spy. Uh, you know, I'm here, whatever he said, I don't know the words that he said. You know, I'm the interpreter. And because his heart wasn't... wasn't lie detector. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lie the, the olden day lie detector. Because his heart wasn't ra- racing, he believed him, and he did not consider him to be a spy. 
And he said, recounting the story, he said, the Aleph phase of Hasidus, what I learned with my teacher, the Alter Rebbe, saved my life. Because with the Alter Rebbe, he learned how to control his heart. So I don't know, because with the, the organs, it's complicated what's considered and what's not considered. But the things that are considered organs, those are the ones that have a direct relationship to the will of our soul, that our soul can will them and they will react. But like you said, like the, the lungs, that's not counted as one of the 248 organs. I don't organs. know if that would help. I okay. can make a coffee. Oh, this is from the Mishnah and Ahalais. Here we go. I would love to. These are the 248 <laughs> limbs. I can send you... <laughs> Where'd you get that? I want to welcome a very special lady here that came all the way from the Holy Land, Devorah. We're so excited to have her here. She will be spending Shabbos with us. And for those of you that know Devorah, she's 